welcome to the Sustainable Nano Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Krause. For this episode, I'm excited to bring you an interview with Dr. Kaz Nelson, a psychiatrist at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Dr. Nelson presented a webinar to the students and faculty in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology way back in December 2020. It was called Why We All Feel So Terrible and What to Do About It. She kindly gave us permission to share the audio from that session as a podcast episode, and she has also been very gracious about the fact that it's taken me two years to get the episode edited and brought to you today, but I do really still think it's quite relevant. She even came back for a quick chat to provide some extra context to what you're going to hear, so here's that little update. Thank you so much for coming back uh, two plus years after we last saw you for the CSN webinar called Why We All Feel So Terrible and What to Do About It. Uh, I listened back to the presentation as I was getting this episode ready and um, definitely found it a lot of it still relevant, but I was curious to hear your perspective on kind of how you think things have changed or if they've changed or if there's any anything about the presentation that um, that you wanted to give us an update about. Hi, Miriam. It's a pleasure to join you and your community again. I just thought it was so thoughtful of you to invite me to do that webinar back in December of 2020. As you recall, this was a period of time where we had been several months into the pandemic. We were really just starting to develop a fluency with masking, and this was before any type of immunizations had been launched. And so I remember this being a very poignant time. People are trying to move forward with their lives, working remotely or feeling sort of scared and stressed when they left the home. And there was this very surreal quality of having meetings, talking about business goals or research goals or manuscript updates while the world was paused in this very surreal way. And so people were feeling terrible. And we had people actually directly impacted by the pandemic in terms of illnesses they were receiving. We were starting to see long COVID emerge in individuals. The nursing homes and long-term care facilities were under extreme duress during this period of time. And so it was very difficult to focus and to, to feel healthy and well during this period of time. And so I appreciated you creating that space where I could kind of come in and just acknowledge that with you and your, the members of your community, that it would not be strange if you weren't feeling good and exploring, beginning to explore some ways that we can still maintain agency over our health and well-being, even in this very peculiar time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and to be frank, I think the fact that it's taken me two years to get this particular episode produced and out, um, it's all tied up with um, everything going on and it's been hard to, nothing about this particular episode, but just it's been hard to sort of maintain normal quote-unquote productivity uh, in all the projects that we like to do, so. That's right, we're contending with this tension and idea of the pandemic being, you know, quote-unquote over. <laughs> um, and then also asking ourselves, is it really over or are we still living with pervasive threat related to the COVID pandemic? And what about some of the advancements that were made over the period of the pandemic? Are we really going to go back to some of the status quo that we had experienced prior to the pandemic? 
or are there pieces of our work and life adaptations that we had during the pandemic that we actually want to capitalize on or maintain? I think these are the questions we're wrestling with at this very minute as employers have a range of opinions on, do we need to be back in the office or should we be masking or not? I think it's pretty rare where I live, even in Minnesota, to see people wearing masks indoors um, is becoming more of a rarity these days. And so we're perhaps a little bit removed from the direct threat of the COVID-19 virus in some ways, but we're certainly not free of it. And we're certainly not in a post-COVID era in that our work and life approaches are now resolved or solved, or we're going back to pre-COVID methodologies. We're really contending with what's going to be different now moving forward. And in some ways that's scary and exciting, but it represents an opportunity for us to involve in our work and practice. Yeah, thank you. That makes a lot of sense and it um, articulates kind of that feeling that I know I've personally had of um, it doesn't feel like it's over back to quote unquote normal or whatever, but a lot of things are shifting and it's not clear in different contexts of different expectations. And I know you mentioned there was a one or two other things listening back to this old presentation that, that you had a, maybe an update or um, something to comment before people listen to the whole thing. Yeah, just one. We could call it a, a footnote, perhaps one footnote related to the primary concept that I'll be sharing in the webinar that will be broadcast during this podcast. And that's of a concept that many of us learned in high school or college psychology 101 courses. And that's of Maslow's hierarchy. This idea that we need to have basic needs met, food, shelter, physical safety, those kinds of things. And then if those basic needs aren't met, then we essentially have a hierarchy of needs beyond that all the way up to something Maslow called self-actualization, where really you have all your needs met and you're sort of living your best life and doing your best work. And um, since that time in 2020, when we were exploring this application of Maslow's hierarchy during the time of the pandemic, there was some thoughtful criticism about Maslow and looking at his body of work. Totally appropriate criticism that Maslow likely misinterpreted and misappropriated ideas from the Blackfoot or Siksika nation. Uh, Maslow had spent some time with uh, this indigenous group who had models about community and belonging and how to meet the needs of a community. And um, there's evidence that Maslow actually misappropriated some of those concepts and misadapted them into more of an individualistic model that was more in line with his uh, sociocultural lens. And so um, whenever we talk about Maslow's hierarchy, we need to add that important asterisk that there's roots of um, some of those concepts were misappropriated from indigenous culture. And then we can use that as a lens to, to challenge or deconstruct some of the ideas that Maslow brought forward. And there's a link that we'll put on the website summarizing this critique. That's a quite a nice discussion of this important issue. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'll add that we'll also put on the website on the show notes that you have a reference for the concept of applying Maslow's hierarchy to the pandemic that you discuss in the in the webinar. And we want to make sure to acknowledge the reference by Natalie Martinek, 
Karam Jahangir, and Eva McDowell. And I apologize if I mispronounced any of their names, but we wanted to make sure we got that in the audio version of this too, as well as in the show notes. So fantastic. Um, thank you so much for popping back for a quick update. It's great to see you and talk to you. And thanks again for sharing your, your experience and wisdom. Uh, and I hope that our listeners enjoy and get some, uh, maybe some comfort or some advice from listening to our interview today. Thank you so much. So now I think we're ready to play the original recording. Again, please keep in mind that this is just the audio from a webinar, which included slides, so we've posted a couple of the key visuals on our website, but my hope is that you can get the gist of it just by listening. So without further ado, here's our webinar with Dr. Kaz Nelson. So welcome everyone. I think we'll go ahead and get started. For those who don't know me, I'm Miriam Krauss. I'm the Director of Education, Outreach, and Diversity for the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology. So thank you all uh, both from the CSN and from uh, outside guests for joining us for our monthly professional development webinar. Today's topic is why we all feel so terrible and what to do about it. So uh, here in the dark of December 2020, I think this is a topic that a lot of us have on our minds. Um, I was certainly motivated to, <laughs> to find a speaker on this topic for us. Um, so I'm delighted to introduce our presenter today, Professor Kaz Nelson. Dr. Nelson is a fellow of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and serves as vice chair for education in the University of Minnesota Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Dr. Nelson practices at the University of Minnesota Medical Center, and her clinical interests lie in the area of best practices in the diagnosis and management of severe personality disorders, suicide, and psychotherapeutic communication with patients in acute settings. Dr. Nelson got her medical degree in psychiatry residency training at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Uh, Dr. Nelson is the 2018 Minnesota Psychiatric Society Psychiatrist of the Year and a 2018 Exemplary Psychiatrist awarded for the state of Minnesota by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Dr. Nelson also has developed an openly accessible podcast with her brother, George, called The Mind Deconstructed, which aims to serve the general community to demystify and increase understanding of common mental health conditions. So we're excited to be able to record today's webinar for potentially sharing on both the CSN's Sustainable Nano podcast and The Mind Deconstructed. Um, so for those on the line, please be aware that we're recording for now, but we will turn off the recording for the Q&A session because we don't want anyone to hesitate about asking questions. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Dr. Nelson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Miriam. Absolutely my pleasure to be here. I was very honored by the invitation. And I know more than anybody that growth, personal development, dialing into webinars during a crisis when none of us have the bandwidth to do that is actually incredibly challenging. So each, each one of you on the call now, um, it's, it's a miracle, <laughs> a wonderful miracle that you were, you're, you're a walking miracle that you were able to show up, put this on your calendar, dial into the webinar, kudos to you because uh, I know it's not easy. And um, it's a small group and, and I purposely uh, set it up as a meeting style so that uh, I would love to interact with you all. So certainly in the Q&A portion or even during the presentation, if you feel so inclined to unmute or chat or turn on your camera and interact, uh, I absolutely invite that because it's always more fun to have a conversation and a dialogue than just a monologue. I, I really want to meet your needs today. So please let me know whatever they may be. And I'm here for it. I have a small, um, small set of slides that I want to share with you. And I'll do that right now. 
All right, those should be coming up. All right, do you see me down there? All right. So yes, we will talk today about why we feel terrible. I'm assuming you feel terrible. Uh, that, that'll be my working assumption. But of course, it'll be different, varying degrees, person to person. I put my Twitter handle on there, Kaz J. Nelson. This is a conversation I love having. Even after the presentation, I would love to connect with you on Twitter. I have immense respect for you as um, staff and scientists working to share knowledge and discover. I'm married to somebody who got almost a whole PhD in physical chemistry and worked with um, nano was part of what he did. There were lasers involved as well. <laughs> so this is an area of um, science that's near and dear to my heart. But he uh, became a stay-at-home dad and is a full-time stay-at-home dad now. Uh, not a physical chemist, but um, I'm grateful for uh, the people out there who, who work with nanotechnology and beyond. Uh, I put my Facebook on there too. And then um, this website of mine, The Mind Deconstructed, it's available on any podcast platform. Uh, I also have a website at minddeconstructed.org if it's easier just to stream from the website. And it's just plain talk, basic language, no jargon, talk about different kinds of mental illness and how we treat them and understand them. So whether you have questions about yourself, questions on behalf of a loved one or a family member, or um, it's something that a resource you could share with people if they have questions about mental illness, this is meant for the general community. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that resource too. All right, this is a meme that I share at the beginning of any talk I give because I think there's great risk standing in front of you all as a psychiatrist with the topic at hand today, there, there's a risk that there's an illusion that somehow I have figured out mental health against all odds, against this pandemic and everything we're up against right now, that I have somehow cracked the code on that. And I'm here as someone who's going to tell you, you know, some advice on how to, how to manage yourself. And um, that's not how I see it at all. This is a work in progress for me, a work in progress for, for all of us. Um, yes, I'm going to share some frameworks that I think are potentially useful in that work, but this is something that we're doing shoulder to shoulder. I'm not up here on some pedestal um, saying, hey, you know, try this or do that. Um, that would be quite an oversimplification and really a myth or an illusion that, that I've somehow figured that out, which is not the case. So um, I think when I say why we all feel so terrible, I'm including me in the we, I'm not using the royal we, why we feel all so terrible and what to do about it. All right, uh, by the end of our time together, my hope is that we will have this shared understanding, a shared model of what stress, acute stress, meaning stress in the moment, or chronic stress, stress that happens day after day, week after week, month after month, like what we have in the pandemic, how this kind of stress impacts the brain, cognitive functioning. Some of you may have backgrounds in this, in this kind of science. And so I hope I'm not oversimplifying things too much for you, but uh, I, I do, do hope the frameworks I talk about will have some applicability. We're gonna look at together the nature and the degree to which chronic stress impacts our professional and our personal needs and then begin to start developing strategies on specific skills that we can use together to address and meet varying professional and personal needs. 
So let's just begin with a small exercise though. I'm gonna ask you to remember something and I'll give you actually a, a good 40 seconds to sit in silence and just in your own mind, sort of reflect on this prompt. And then um, afterwards, if you, you know, I would invite you to either um, throw into the chat or if, if people are open to doing some sharing, um, we could share about it too, but I don't wanna put anybody on the spot too much. But I would just invite you to remember, remember a time where you observed the events of the past nine months impacting someone's mental health. Could be your mental health, a loved one, somebody you saw on TV, something where the unique circumstances of the past nine months really impacted somebody's mental health, and maybe even um, contributed to some form of mental illness. I'll give you about 40 seconds or so to reflect on this. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll do a test chat. Testing, one, two, three. Hopefully that works. We'll direct people to the, to the chat box. Would people be willing to uh, share a little bit about what they thought of, not, not identifying names or you know, just, just general circumstances, things that you've seen in, in yourself or other people along the lines of um, impact, negative impact. Could be positive impact, I guess. Also welcome to um, unmute or, or um, jump in uh, verbally to whatever. I'm seeing if you come in. Yes. When all in-person interaction events were abruptly canceled. Yeah, I remember that well. Um, we were actually at a water park of all places, just a giant Petri dish in March at the point in time the TVs were on and the announcement was made that the NBA names the NBA National Basketball Association games were going to be canceled. And we knew that, well, um, it's, it's real. It's, it's happening. And then, um, and then I never went back to my workplace after that. Uh, so I went to on vacation <laughs> to this water park <laughs> and left my office space in disarray, you know, no, because I, I wasn't able, able to pack things up. Somebody else comments that there was excruciating anger, fear, frustration among anti-racist protesters in um, Minneapolis. Yes, so, so beyond the pandemic, uh, George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis, three miles from where my uh, medical school is located, just a, a intense wound, anger, fear, frustration, pain, uh, globally witnessing these horrific events and the realization that you know this is happening every day this instance was happened to be caught on camera very very painful uh, someone else mentioning uh, a sister who's a nurse in the medical intensive care unit and um, the impact 
of depression and anxiety among other issues, particularly around people who feel that they're putting their lives at risk in a society where some people are calling it a hoax, right? There's, there's a lot of um, intense sadness and, and fear and resentment among people who are working to um, be part of the solution. Think, feeling like the rest of the community is not taking this seriously. Anxiety from the election and events surrounding that. Absolutely. Lots of upheaval in our social fabric, political fabric um, that does impact us. It is real. Another example here, people losing enthusiasm for long-held passions. Yes. We sometimes call that in the, in the medical field, um, anhedonia or lack of interest. Hobbies or, or things that usually brought joy now hold little interest. We're definitely seeing that. And then another um, example here, I had a loved one who had less work due to the pandemic and got so sucked into watching election news almost every day, which led to extreme anxiety, depression, anger, et cetera. Yes, uh, this phenomena, um, it's been coined doom scrolling in the media, but uh, how, how news or other social media platforms are designed, they kind of hijack our mechanisms are fear-based mechanisms, and you can't help but sometimes fall into some of these rabbit holes of upsetting or, or terrorizing news, and it can become a full-time job trying to manage some of these upsetting news updates. These are all uh, phenomenal examples. Are there other ones people wanted to share? They certainly resonate for me, and, and as I give this presentation other places, um, this is exactly, these are exactly the kinds of things we're hearing. In addition, I would add um, people who are experiencing grief, who have lost loved ones to COVID, who have maybe gotten COVID themselves and now have some form of disability associated with it, where there's a question, is this going to last or not? Other types of grief, um, people who have weddings, funerals, graduations, awards, you know, maybe they're a high school student and this was their year to win state, you know, and that opportunity is taken away from them. You know, heart-wrenching kind of stuff for people. And there's a tremendous amount of grief associated with that. Also isolation, as we have needed to live apart, live separately from people and, and reduce our in-person interaction, physical distancing. There's a lot of people talking about the isolation and loneliness that they feel. So it's not just the pandemic, it's the pandemic plus. And of course, this is taking a toll on our mental health. Of course it is. So this is the model that I turn to when I try to conceptualize this. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A lot of you probably took a psychology 101 class in college. And if you think back, you maybe remember this term. I'll provide a a review, um, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing this term. It's, it's a very simple and, and elegant concept. And the way it was described to me in college is people have basic needs, food, a roof over their heads, shelter, and basic things. And if those basic needs aren't met, it's very difficult for someone to meet higher order, higher level needs, like reading a book or writing an essay, you know, self-expression and painting an oil painting. You know, those things are very difficult if you have not eaten for two days or you don't have a, a roof over your head. That's the basic concept. 
And I love how um, this group adapted Maslow's hierarchy of needs and put it a little bit in the context of the pandemic. So um, at, the, at the very foundation, body needs are, are real. They put on here uh, toilet paper, sleep, breathing, moving, food, you know, uh, using it's toilet paper, but like using the bathroom. Probably your sister who's a nurse in the medical ICU, probably there's six or seven hours where they're not able to use the bathroom, even if they wanted to, because it would mean needing to decontaminate and then using the restroom and coming back. And so it seems kind of silly to put like, oh, bathroom needs, excretion needs on there. But there are times where that, you know, need is not met and it's very stressful. It's a very basic need to eat and excrete. Hold on, my kids are um, causing a little symphony in the background here. Excuse me. I don't know what level need that is a need for a quiet uh, working environment, but it's probably higher up on the list. <laughs> Thank you for the smiley face reel. So body-based needs at the very bottom, then moving up their safety needs. You know, hand washing needs, masks, having a, a safe house to live in, um, safety of loved ones is, is at that next level. And then moving up, you have things like connection, the mind and thinking, and at the very top is shining. And I love giving this talk to, to academics and academic teams like yourself, because um, at the very root of what motivates us, what gets us out of bed in the morning is we strive every day to be number one at the top of the pyramid. We're trying to discover and disseminate knowledge and, dis and discovery that's gonna change the world, change the way we do things, make things better. And that's at the very top of this pyramid. And it's not very many people who try to be up at number one every day, but we do. But that means that we have to navigate levels five, four, three, two, and one to even get there. And um, it's very, very, very difficult, even in the best of times, even when all these circumstances aren't conspiring against us, especially difficult now. And this is a picture of the brain. And I've highlighted this area here called the amygdala. That's a really important part of the brain that signals when there's threat around. And Part of the problem that we experience, why we feel so terrible right now, is that when the circumstances bring us down on this hierarchy, our level four and level five needs are a challenge or not being met, what that does is it actually signals a threat to the brain. It says um, our basic needs aren't being met. We need to mobilize stress and threat responses. And when those stress and threat responses are being triggered, the rest of the brain doesn't work. Of course it doesn't. Naturally, it doesn't. If you're running from a bear, your brain does not want to devote system resources to doing a math problem. You know, that, that would not be a good idea. The species would not survive if that's the way the brain functioned. And so, um, 
an important thing to remember is as we are pulled down further on this hierarchy of needs, a change happens in our brains and we shift from higher order thinking, analysis, calculation, reflection, you know, all those things that happen when our basic needs are met, our brain is shifted into threat mode. And that is why we feel so terrible is because our brain is actually working differently than it normally does. And it's a problem. And I'm going to show you a video now of what happens in the brain um, when threat mode is activated, what happens to the rest of the brain. So I'm going to pull up that video now. And I'm going to introduce it first. It's a prank video. It's meant to be a funny video. I, it came across my Facebook feed in full disclosure. And it's two carpenters in a workshop, and one carpenter is going to play a prank on the other carpenter and make it look like his finger is injured. There's no injury. I don't want anyone to pass out or think that there's blood or injury involved. Just a little bit of nail polish or ketchup on the finger. Um, no one, no one was hurt, and they're just going to um, make it look like his finger was stapled to a board, and call his buddy over. So that's the setup here. It's okay if you have a chuckle, but I promise I'm not showing this to you for a, a chuckle. There's a critical neuroscience lesson that's being demonstrated in this video. And uh, I use this video in all my teaching because it's, it's very, very powerful. All right, Miriam, can you see that? Yep. Okay, and then give me a thumbs up if... Um, the sound comes through because I want to make sure the sound comes through. Hey, Tyler. Tyler, come here for a second. is that you were able to notice that um, I'm hoping that you noticed in that video that the finger was not actually stapled to the board and that uh, when Tyler came over to help the prankster carpenter I don't know his name but the prankster carpenter actually pulled that supposedly stapled finger 
out of the contraption and use that same finger to point where Tyler should cut with the snippers. And that's that's why it's a funny video, right? That's why it was on Facebook. There was a chuckle factor like, oh, Tyler, you know, he's just not real bright. He he didn't even notice that the finger wasn't actually stapled. It took him a good, I haven't timed it, but maybe 40 seconds or so before his brain kind of figured out, hey, this is a prank. There's not actually a, a injury here. And, and that was my first reaction when I, when I saw this video. But I went back and watched it and thought about it a little bit more with the lens of my work as a psychiatrist and, and knowing the impact of stress and understanding some of the neuroscience underlying stress responses. I could tell that poor Tyler, um, he could have been the smartest person in the room. We have no idea what his intellectual capacity is. We, we don't have any information about that at all. All we know is he went into threat mode and his brain stopped being able to take in information and analyze information in front of him. He, he sprung right into reaction mode to try to help. And that is the power of threat mode. That is the power of this stress response. When our threat mode is triggered, our basic needs aren't met, our resources are converted to this part of the brain that has a terrible time taking in information and processing it. So Again, we're trying to answer this question, why do we feel so terrible? Well, we've been pulled down on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Our basic needs are, are being threatened. They're not being met. Our brain is working differently and really not like we're used to. And we actually are having trouble taking in information. Our, our bandwidth has been devoted to survival and threat response versus the higher level things that we enjoy doing, like our hobbies, like our, <laughs> um, our, you know, intellectual work, our academic work that is so intellectually stimulating, all of that feels much, much more difficult. And um, yes, Miriam, uh, bringing up the famous uh, uh, folks playing basketball, and then and then the the person in a monkey suit goes through, and you didn't even see it, right? Yes, when you devote brain sources to one thing, other brain resources are, are deprived in some way. And they don't allow us to see the full picture. Exactly. And so this is one of the reasons why we feel so terrible. Our brain is actually working differently than usual. It doesn't feel good. And it can be upsetting. You might find yourself forgetting things that you normally wouldn't forget or feeling overwhelmed in circumstances that you wouldn't normally feel overwhelmed in. Um, absolutely, that is the consequence of this. And these, this is universal phenomena. So what do we do then? What do we do about this? The group that adapted this hierarchy framework did a brilliant thing, which the second I saw this, it was like my brain exploded. I was so happy. They described sets of basic skills to do when you're at any given level. The idea being that if you are at a level five and you meet those needs, you'll naturally go up to a level four. If you're at a level four and you meet those needs, you'll go up to a level three. And so as long as we are all waking up in the morning and getting out of bed in the morning to be a level one, most of us aspire to do that. This is the roadmap to getting there. Now, this is a little bit of an oversimplification of problem solving because not all of these skills are accessible to us and there's, there's barriers. 
But at least if we're at a level three or a level four, we can understand why and stop beating ourselves up about it. These circumstances are, are interfering with our capacity to meet our needs. So if you are at a level five, like, like the nurse who hasn't been able to use the bathroom for six hours, the solution is to eat, drink, breathe, move, sleep, excrete, and medicate if you're prescribed medications. Uh, basic body-based needs, okay? Again, easier said than done, but these are gonna be the high-yield strategies. Moving up to safety, they list boundaries, assertiveness, trust and intuition, self-soothing, asking for support and staying safe, and so on, up the list. What is happening though is without this hierarchy, it's causing us problems because let's say under normal circumstances, pre-COVID, you're at a level three and you feel crummy. And what you do is usually use humor or nature to feel better, to, to meet your connection needs. And you watch a funny video or you call a friend or you go on a walk, beautiful walk through the woods. Well, if that's your go-to strategy, but now you're at a level five, those things aren't going to help. And they might even make things worse. Particularly if someone, if say you're that nurse who hasn't gone to the bathroom in six hours and someone says, you know what I find is helpful? Nature. Just the sound of the birds enough to make my heart soar. Have you considered nature? Well, you I mean, you risk getting hit at that point, right? Because their basic needs aren't being met. They need to use the bathroom. They need to be given time to use the bathroom. They need a system in their workplace to make it so that they can predictably excrete when their body needs to excrete, okay? And so um, if you take anything away from our time together today, it's to please be more careful and thoughtful with those in your lives of not assuming that they're higher up on the hierarchy than they are. Because if you're trying to be helpful and you offer a skill or a suggestion that's higher on this pyramid than where they're at, that's going to lead to even further isolation, further invalidation, further helplessness and hopelessness, because it's yet another sign that people really don't understand that um, these basics aren't being met. So that's a very, very, very key point. On this hierarchy, I mentioned breathing at the very bottom. And, and that's sort of a basic body function is breathing. It makes perfect sense to each of us, hopefully. Um, if you're having trouble breathing, that's, that's life-threatening. But I also wanted to add this breathing tool in your arsenal because it's a basic mechanism to help when um, the fight-or-flight system is being activated. There is a way that you can bring down the stimulation of that system by stimulating another set of nerves that put the brakes on the fight or flight system. It's called the vagal nerve or vagus nerve. And all mammals have the capacity to hack their body and directly stimulate the vagal nerve that will cause calming rather than the panic or threat response because you have two sets of nerves and if one is stimulated, the other one stops. So if you stimulate the vagal nerve, the fight or flight system will go on pause. And you can do that by stimulating the mammalian dive reflex by putting ice or ice water on the face. All mammals have it when they're submerged in ice water, 
their system down regulates through this nerve. Breathing slows down, heart rate slows down. It's, it's unique to mammals. And um, we can take advantage of that system by doing that. Ice in the hands doesn't work. It's gotta be here on the face. And it's impractical, in, impractical for most people to submerge themselves in ice water. But uh, the good news is the face alone will um, be sufficient. And then this breathing in for four counts, out for eight counts, that also stimulates the vagal nerve because every time you breathe in a little bit, your um, fight or flight nerves are stimulated slightly. Every time you breathe out, your vagal nerve is stimulated slightly. So if you're breathing out twice as long as you're breathing in, that will pump um, your system down. Now, if you combine the paced breathing and the ice or ice water on the face, you can stop any kind of panic attack. So the example I use is if you're data scientists and something happens to your computer, this would never happen with all the backups now these days, but um, it used to be that you would save things on your computer. And if something happened, you could use lose a year's worth of data or something at, at the push of a button. And there'd be this feeling that people would have like they're dying, you know? And um, of course that would be a horrible thing. And in that moment, if you really need to get your wits about you in order to problem solve, how do I get this data back? You're not gonna be able to do that if you're panicking. You can hack the system by putting ice on the face and doing this paced breathing for five minutes, get your brain back and be have much more effective capacity for solving a problem that you might be stuck solving, um, whether you're panicking or not. And it'd be better to solve the problem when you're not panicking. So um, this is just something I feel like should be taught in kindergarten to all people and it's not for whatever reason. So I include it in every talk I give because it might save a life one day. It's uh, good stuff to have out there. All right, so again, this is just a plug for my podcast. I talk about all this kind of stuff in there check it out. I don't make money on it or anything like that. It's just a labor of love, my, my offering to you. And I'm delighted to engage in any kind of discussion. If you have questions about anything I presented or comments or ideas that this stimulated for you, I'm delighted to, to chat about it. Thank you so much uh, for this presentation. I'm I'm very happy that we have some time for discussion. And just as a reminder, I will I'm stopping the recording now. And that's it for this episode of the Sustainable Nano Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to Dr. Nelson for taking the time to talk with us twice. This podcast is produced by the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which is funded by the U.S. National Science Foundation. Our usual disclaimer, though, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the National Science Foundation. Our music is by PC3 and Dexter Britton. Our editor is Jack Rayhill. Want more Sustainable Nano? You can subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcast or Stitcher, and we're also on the National Science Foundation's Science Zone Radio, which is an amazing compilation of science radio shows and podcasts. And you can listen to any of our episodes and find our show notes with images and links at podcast.sustainable-nano.com. And if that's not enough, we also have a blog with hundreds of posts, mostly written by students in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which you can find at sustainable-nano.com. Finally, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook at Sustainable Nano, all one word. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to the Sustainable Nano podcast. And remember, little things can make a big difference. <laughs>